Welcome one and all. I'm Chris Stone, the Virtual Agile Coach, and this is the Virtually Agile Podcast, the pod that shares conversations with agile thought leaders, as well as amplifying newer voices. You'll hear about agility, virtual working, and everything in between. In today's episode, we talk about the Dunning-Kruger effect, the trends and challenges that enterprises face with agile ways of working today, and creating an environment for learning and experimentation. If you find value in listening, don't forget to follow or subscribe on your platform of choice. It's the absolute best way to hear about the latest episodes as they land. Enjoy the show, folks. Fellow Agilists, welcome to another episode in Season 3 of the Virtually Agile Podcast. And today's guest is an Agile Transformation and Delivery Director at North Highland Consultancy, an ex-colleague of mine at Accenture and someone who very much inspired me on my own Agile journey. I'm very pleased to welcome Ravi Jay to the show. How are you, Ravi? Chris, good afternoon. Thank you for having me on your show. Pleasure. Now, Ravi, for those listeners who perhaps haven't come across your work yet, please tell us a little bit more about you and your journey with Agile. Um, I started my career, Chris, um, as a developer and three years into my, that was 18 years ago. Uh, three years into my career, I was introduced um, while I was living in Sweden to agile methods by somebody who was clearly uh, very clever, but was making my life a living hell as a developer. Uh, and that got me into that got me into hating um, Kanban with a passion, because everything they were telling me was making my life miserable. Now, in that journey. Um, f- somehow I got to see the light and see, to see the benefits of um, that way of working. Um, and that changed the way of uh, how I viewed um, delivery and value. Um, and the minute I saw, I understood the difference between output and an outcome. That's when I started believing in the method um, and what agility can actually bring to teams. And in the last uh, 14 years, I've not uh, looked back in terms of the opportunities to apply agile methods. Obviously, it's not a silver bullet. You can't apply it everywhere. But when there's when there are opportunities where an agile method can really make a difference, that's where someone like me would come in and uh, drive agility into that uh, piece of work or that firm or that part of the organization. Yeah. So that is a bit about uh, my the genesis and how I got introduced into agile methods and how I got to where I am, what I am doing now, obviously, you know, once you're in your little uh, bubble, it's quite difficult to uh, realize that you're not learning or you are learning. Um, so every now, every now and then I get a chance to look up. Um, I, I'm usually a submarine, but every now and then I get to become the dolphin. So I get to see what I don't know um, and opportunities like this are where I figure out what I don't know. So I get to learn a little bit more. Every day is a school day. Every day is a school day. I love that. And it's actually very, very much resonates with me. You, know, you and I, are gonna, in a moment, we're going to talk about something I know you've been quite vocal about, and that's the, the Dunning-Kruger effect and your, your journey with learning. And it very much mirrors my own uh, in a lot of ways. And nowadays, it's interesting because uh, when it comes to learning, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. Right. Uh, I think Socrates quote was uh, true knowledge exists in knowing that, you know, nothing. And I subscribe to that so heavily nowadays, because as you say, you kind of you dip away from your little bubble, you learn a bit more and you realize, oh, my God, there's so much out there. And if you look at just the the, the traditional X wing of agile coaching competency, you could spend all your life just focusing on a few areas of those. 
uh, you know, and, and not so much on the others and, and be less well-rounded, but you could equally become reasonably well-rounded across all of them, but maybe not be a deep expert in some of them. So yeah, I, I love the, the idea that every day is a school day, continuous learning. And to, the, to that end, before we go on to the Dunning-Kruger effects, what techniques do you subscribe to to enable yourself to continuous, continuously learn? I think over the years, um, as I started my journey, um, you know, empty vessels make the loudest noise. I was an empty vessel 15 years ago. Um, so what I, I used to talk a lot about the little that I knew, uh, but over the years when I started realizing what I knew is dwarfed by what I don't know, I started talking less and listening more. Uh, and, and that one thing enables me to just and listen and learn from the people. And usually the people in the room are smarter than I am. So I get to learn just by, just by listening. Um, and as you, uh, as you begin um, leading teams, you, you realize that you have to uh, humble yourself to really, uh, to, to listen to the people who are actually doing the work because they know more about the work than you do. I told you uh, I was I was a developer 18 years ago. I, I had the last line I committed was uh, four years ago. I haven't committed a line of code in four in four years. That tells me that I am reasonably away from the latest um, techniques and the latest methods and the latest modular ways of writing code. I am away, like it, whether I like it or not. So I have to humble myself to listening. So two things I do, I've begun to doing reasonably well over the years is. Uh, listen more than I talk and to humble myself to being surprised every day. <laughs> Again, uh, very much resonates with me. What you were saying there, I'm even further removed from that. You say you haven't committed a line of code in four years. I've never committed a line of code ever for my sins. I am someone who looks at code and thinks it looks like the matrix, a bunch of ones and zeros bouncing around. So I'm always humbled and, and always having to remind myself that, hey, I know nothing about this stuff, right? I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be able to tell them how to do things better, but what I can do is try and facilitate the environment for continuous learning, for retrospection, for adaption based on what we learn, for discovery. So again, coming to your point there, listening more. These people are the experts. They know, they know the answers. I'm not going to be telling them the answers, but all I can do is help provide an environment where they can find those answers together. Right. So we talked about the Dunning-Kruger effect. And I know, again, as I mentioned, this is something that you've been quite vocal about, about cognitive biases, the Dunning-Kruger effect. Tell us about your experience with this particular effect and how would you describe it? Now, um, I, I, I've discovered the theory behind the method while I was running my, my, my startup in 2011, where, you know, luckily I, I, I was working, I co-founded the business with some very smart people. Obviously their smarts are in a different area of running the business and that I'm which is why we made a really good team that we brought a complementary skills to the table. Um, obviously at that time I had just been introduced into Agile ways of working. Obviously I was a very loud empty vessel. The danger was I was not quite an empty vessel. I had a couple of things in it. So I was making a lot of noise. Um, the, the trouble was things were not working. There was a lot of show about what I was doing but not enough action, Lots of, lot of chat, but not enough action. So obviously the business was in making a lot of money. And every time I was asked a question, I would get very defensive and I would just uh, try to protect 
my the what I'm doing by listing a bunch of process or a lot of theory about how they should work and why they should work. But the fact of the matter was it wasn't working. And and when we scratched the surface, we realized the problem was very clear. I was the problem. And that's when I realized, you know, I know so little. Um, we had a team of very smart, about 18 people in my in my office. We had a partner in Ukraine, we had a partner in India. There, so there, are, there was enough smarts in the room to actually make a difference. But I was a problem. Uh, I was too caught up in what I know and what the method should be. So that's when one of my uh, co-founders showed me this and said, listen, what you have to realize is that everybody goes through this. Everybody who values mastery of a certain skill goes through this. It's just part of life. It's not a midlife crisis. It's just part of how things are, right? So why don't you take a look? And that's when I sort of started realizing, started plotting my career from about 2006. And I started, my career started before that, but my my introduction into Agile Ways of Working started in 2006. And that's when I started plotting, how does that, how, how do, what is, what does my journey look like? That wasn't easy. And every time I looked at it, it made me uh, realize um, what I didn't want to realize, which is I was being a bit of a, bit, what's a safe word to, what is a good word to use for dick? I was a bit of a dick <laughs> at that time. And, and what, what I didn't, I didn't want to accept it. I did not want to accept it. So what I did, what I did was to just put that to the side. Like, this is not true. You guys are full of yourself. This is not true. Uh, but over the years, um, I started realizing that this, I should go back and re revisit it. And then finally in 2016 and 17, I did, which was about six years after I was initially introduced to it. That's how long it took for me to sort of go back and humble myself to say, you know what, if I have to really become agile myself, not just talk about a theory, if I have to be agile myself, if I need agility in how I think, I need to confront this. That's where I started drawing this, and I think I put it out, put it out there in 2019, which is just about 12 or 13 years into my journey of agile. That's that's finally that's how long it took for me to realize. Well, actually, I'm now in the bottom. I'm now beginning to go up. I'm now realizing there's so much I don't know, and it's felt like a reasonably good time to do it. Now, don't get me wrong, my career was flourishing. I had no issues in terms of my professional, how I was conducting my business, but I knew what I didn't know. And speaking candidly, uh, I had, uh, I, w I, w I found myself in areas where I was the SME. And for that reason, I never felt inadequate. Now, I've been lucky in places because I found myself as the most agile person in the room. And for that reason, I had primacy in everything I said. Um, and so far, touch wood, I have not been in a room where I'm not the Agile expert. But there will come a time when I am that person. And there will come a time where, when I'm, of course, you know, don't get me wrong, there are space, there are things that I learn every day. But on, on balance, I'm not surprised every day on balance. But of course, there are new things that I learn every day, but on balance, I'm not surprised. I have still not been in, in a room where I am surprised holistically. Of course, I learn new stuff uh, every now and then. But that day will come. But that's when I realize the new bits of what I don't know. So that's why I, I, that's why I'm confidently saying that I'm very much at the bottom, where I know a little bit, but my confidence about what I know is quite low. Two years ago, it has gone up a little bit. Thinking, okay, I'm now, I'm not an idiot. I know a little bit. Maybe I should get more confident because, uh, guess what? When when you're a leader, and when there are people who are new to the team, they look at you for confidence, and if you look like you're constantly doubting yourself, they start thinking, okay, why am I following this leader? 
so there is a there is a, a little bit of i have to be confident i need to be presenting confidence uh, to be able to lead, uh, to to be able to have followers to be able to convince them that they have to do the job not for themselves or for this but they have to do this for us as as a team uh, and that's quite key um that's why i started that's why i'm i'm presenting to you that i'm a little bit further up in confidence because having to pretend that i'm confident has enabled me actually get some confidence over the last two years i'd say bit of a fake it till you make it sort of situation pretty much pretty much um but it, it, i had to do it and that's how i learned to be a little bit more confident in what i know the little that i know and of course be very clear eyed about all the things that i do not know all the people that i'm going to see all the the universe of things that i don't know and i don't even know that exist but when it, when it when it comes um i've learned myself to be not be defensive but just receive information and knowledge when it is presented to me excellent well i do i do think having seen the visual you shared there about your your journey and having plotted where you where you learn certain things I remember there was there was something on there saying scrum mastery was hard you learned that as a lesson and i think it's it's very powerful that you were able to do that reflection activity but then also transparently share it and i know you were saying there about people uh, they look to you uh, to demonstrate leadership and to be confident i equally feel you can um gain confidence uh from people in terms of them trusting you by by displaying that level of vulnerability and, and transparency and openness to say hey this has been my journey this is where i've learned along the way i know i'm not perfect i don't have all the answers and that's okay because again i will work in a way which will help us find the answers i think there's a huge power in that in particular so i applaud you for being transparent and sharing your journey with that uh, it's very much as i said something that resonated with me definitely had similar experiences where i've thought i've known a lot and then been very humbled when i've learned how much i don't know and to me the i i often joke if i had a child i'd call them kanban because then they're just a, a continuous improvement a, work, a continuous work in progress and i like to think of myself as a continuous work in progress i'm like a, a collection of scars and bruises and lessons and successes and failures that's shaped who chris has become today no doubt right so in your role ravi you as um agile transformation delivery director you are exposed to quite a range of clients industries transformations what's to you are the biggest problems that you see enterprises facing today are there any trends you observe whether they're focused on agile ways of working or otherwise um i think the problem across any industry any firm is quite basic it's people it's not mm-hmm. of course the of course the people are hamstrung by not having the right tools the right processes or the motivations all of that is true but central to all of it is people are not people and their emotions and their reactions cannot be codified it just cannot be um on day one it cannot be but over over a period of time which is when transformation starts um you can't just give them b on day one you we, they are an a they will need to travel across an enough period of time to be now there is usually less patience across any firm in any industry because you know we've go, just gone through a black swan event um and a lot of industries are suffering uh, and as a result they want results yesterday uh, of an agile transformation yesterday but it, 
cannot happen. Uh, so the, the 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 key themes across any industry is uh, patience because desperation and the times are barren. People because you know people have changing needs and uh, the methods of yesterday uh, no longer work for tomorrow. Because if you if you think about it, Scrum used to say you need to be co-located. It's number one or two bullet in your how do you is your is your way of working. Now, guess what happened in the last eighteen months? A black swan even took that assumption away uh, as being on the table, right? And I'm I am convinced that every other assumption that is, that we assumed were absolutely necessary for people to work. Um, can be proven, can be invalidated under under the right circumstances. Obviously, all of this are complicated because people change and everything that we use to get people to be operating better with each other or producing more value than yesterday is, is it changes. So that is that is a theme that is across any client. For me, I have found the same. Now, what tool you use in a certain context is obviously unique to that context. I mean, I've stopped believing playbooks and I've stopped believing um, codified methods that work in one client. Uh, let's take this to the other client. Uh, I, it doesn't work as is, but it's a starting point. It gets us through the door. Mm -hmm. It gets us to look at uh, that context and see, okay, how much of this can you reuse? Um, if I can reuse 50% of what I used before, that is a good thing. Now, the 50% is, it's not waste, but it's like that 786 light bulbs that didn't work for Edison uh, before he invented the one that worked, right? So it'll be it'll be those kind of things. And the, the industry is, you know, it's, it's quite difficult out there because so many of our assumptions are invalidated in, 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 in agile ways of working. So that is for me is uh, a common across now more than ever. Um, and, and the reliance on, um, and the reliance on people being patient and organizations needing to be patient um, is, is hard to come by. It's hard to come by. So you need the results. And the minute you have success, people swarm. So the, 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 the trick in the game is now to show, to demonstrate success, define success, demonstrate success and go get more people to swarm around that successful thing. Forget any of your dogmatic ways of work, you know, things that you do, one, two, three, that those are, those used to be, but they're not um, what's gonna work today. So find that, for me, that, that has been um, a common across, but, but people like success. So I try to show them what success looked like, a different thing, a different client. And then, the, like they say, like show them success and the people will come. Completely. Um, touching on what you were, you were saying there, uh, show them success or seeing success. This to me is where my, my favorite uh, description for what a sprint is nowadays, and this, this came from Tobias Mayer. He said, a sprint is an experiment, right? It's a lesson that you can learn in a time frame. And you know, in that time frame, you may learn this didn't work, this did work. And that's where you want to dampen the things that don't work and amplify the things you do, kind of swarm around the successes, celebrate those. And you've reminded me as well, coming back to what you were saying earlier, um, you were saying how you were, you used to be a methodology man, but you then you just said, I need to take more action. A little less conversation, a little more action is, is a, a quote from Elvis that I parrot all the time. So a little less conversation, guys, a little more action, because it's action, a bias towards action that helps us learn, that gets, that gets results. So yeah, very much resonating with me there, uh, where you're saying about 
some of the common problems we're facing is, is people uh, in, in, in any sort of enterprise. And when I'm talking about transformation with people, one of my first thoughts is, okay, if there's no, there's no points just trying to chuck the latest Spotify model or, or safe framework, just because you've seen it work before, because one of the most important variables in any enterprise is it's people, what they need, their situation, their context, what they've done before, what works for their situation. So like you, I've learned that mistake. I've got, I've got into previous clients before and said, oh, this has worked for me. This will work for you again. There's no harm, as you say, in starting somewhere, but then don't apply that dogmatically forever. Don't stick to it rigidly. For me, starting with something, whether that's, a, I don't know, just a, a basic scrum and then learning it. And, and it, it could be ultimately finding that for that situation, that client, those people, what actually works is a mixture of scrum, Kanban, safe, you know, some sort of Frankenstein hybrids that's, that's their framework and methodology that works for them rather than the, the kind of dogmatic right we are we are now safe we are now using the spotify model which was never intended that way so nowadays i'm very much a, an agile agnostic this is one of my most my, my biggest lessons over the over the last several years is that i don't subscribe to any particular approach because it doesn't matter the outcome matters and that's what the company the client the situation needs Exactly, yeah. Rabu. Uh, uh, and Chris, uh, if I could add one thing to that, which is, um, I work a lot. I, I work a lot with the board of directors these days, and um, they remind me every day, whatever you do, we are not, we not bringing you on to make us the best agile company in the world. We are bringing you on to get us this outcome. Mm -hmm. What you do, is your thing. What tool you want to use is your thing. We just want this. And that reminds me every day that I cannot assume that an agile method or an agile transformation is going to get them the outcome because they may not. Because remember, they are working at the minute. You know, it's, it's good. It's okay, right? It's not great, but they don't know that. So the first question you get asked is, why fix if it ain't broke? It's good, right? And it's probably good. It's probably good but it's not great. And that's why they're not getting the great outcomes that they want. Now it's really hard to convince someone who think they're good to be great. What's, what's the motivation? Like, why? Why should I do this thing that you say is cool? Like, what's in it for me? And that question is a difficult question to answer. When there's a burning platform, easy. You see the fire. When there is no fire that you can see or feel, you know, it's a harder sell. It's a hard, so that is an additional sort of nuance. And, and I spoke about patience earlier, which is you want to have transformation. And then at the end of the second week, why aren't you transformed? Why, why, why don't you like sprint? Why don't you like, why don't you like scrums? Well, why aren't you sprinting? It's only two weeks. It's just, you can't expect people to change because it's people, right? You, we like and we warm up to things over a, period of time we need to see things work we need to see someone else say good things about things that work and that takes a bit of time so the the board usually um sometimes when they ask they're used to getting something quickly and this is a fundamental way of working and it requires a bit of investment for it to give results or after a period of time now that after a period of time is usually a period of time that you struggle to win in the beginning, so that is hard. So you spoke about um, uh, every sprint being an experiment. That is something that you cannot say on day one. 
to a company who's struggling to uh, who's struggling to sort of um, uh, make bank, right? It's really hard. But that is something that is it requires a little bit of maturity to understand. There are words that are absolute trigger words on day one of transformation, but and these are just normal on day 366 of a transformation. Mm -hmm. So I, I find I find our language, our approach, the humility, the the, the not being that bull in a china shop being extremely important for us to land, forget being successful, for us to land and be given a chance for people to start listening, you've got to use, speak their language. And that is incredibly hard on day one because you just don't know. You just don't know what, what they're used to, how they operate yeah. and what they're, what they're used to working. And this is where listening comes in, right? Understand the context first, the language, where they currently are. Uh, another one I, I, I regularly hear is fail, you know, particularly c-suite people they don't like that word failure is a bad thing and i know in the agile world we often say fail fast guys fail fast that's language that we as as mature agile professionals understand as a desirable outcome but when someone hears oh we're going to fail they're like well why, why do we why do we want to fail we don't want to fail so i often say learn learn fast learn often don't fail fast just learn just make sure that what you're doing is learning that's okay um that's what i tend to I tend to alter my language also, depending on the audience, the, the people I'm with, the, the situation at hand. Right, so there's another topic that I know you particularly enjoy, and it's data-driven experimentation. So tell us a bit more about this and how you feel it fits in with, with Agile ways of working. Um, data is um, non-partisan. Data is unambiguous. It's easy to understand. Now. Obviously, um, data in its raw form is not easy to understand. Obviously, you need some insights, you need uh, to, to visualize, you need to make it understandable, you need to make it glanceable. I, I, obviously, when you, it needs to be um, presented in a way that the audience can understand. Obviously, the data and the reporting for a team is not appropriate for, for reporting for the board. Um, and what I've what I've uh, learned uh, to do better is to take subjectivity out of what I am presenting as a set of facts. And that is usually difficult. Like when you when you say, how is that team doing? And your response is, that team's doing great. Now, unfortunately, the word characterization great um, doesn't mean anything to anyone who's looking at, okay, I asked that question to inform myself whether I should keep funding that team. And great doesn't say anything to me. Like that's a that's an interesting characterization, but what does that mean? Like how do what, what should I do? Are they great people? Are they producing good value? So you need to you need to find the data that tell them and give them enough confidence, whatever decision they're asking that question for. And that is that is why and data is nonpartisan. It is there is no characterization. It's just facts, set of facts, um, which is why. Any sort of experiment I run, or any sort of uh, by, by by experiment I say I mean, um, you know, when you are in a maturing team or in a near mature uh, operating team, by by the set of whatever set of uh, facts you factors you use to determine that this is a maturing or mature team, um, once you begin to get that level of uh, maturity in operating, you are pretty much scraping at the bottom of your expected backlog like things that you need, you you are running, right? Now you are keeping the lights on mode. You're in your product life cycle. You're keeping your lights on mode. And in that mode, you start asking yourself, okay, 
do I do nothing anymore or do I do something to get back into product development, come back in the product lifecycle and get more people into the funnel? What do I do? How do I make more money? Uh, or am I, or actually we've used it enough. There's no more money to make. Let's just uh, keep the lights on. Let's, uh, let's keep what we have. Let's, there's no point in going after new. But the answer to that question is let's go after new then you are experimenting with things. Now, you, obviously your feedback loop is shorter. And for that reason, data is incredibly important because your feedback loop is shorter and your communication to your stakeholder needs to be much shorter. And for that reason, uh, the reason is, do I need to fund you? Do Can I see the total investment? Because if I don't, I need to stop the funding. You can't wait six months, you cannot. So that is where the data is incredibly important and what you present back, e.g. the insights are also incredibly important. So I, I, I go with, um, when I ask a question, ask very specific questions with regards to the exist the the accepted slash agreed a set of criteria as success like we have a measure of success so we measure the teams for that success and it's usually not velocity or that is not what we measure uh, it, it, when you know what success looks like you measure the team what however you measure what 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 is telling me whether they're successful or not um, and that data is what you take up. And sometimes there's a little bit of uh, greenwashing data because obviously there's a little bit of greenwashing statuses as you go stratospheric, as you go to the board, uh, because they don't really care about uh, my developer doesn't have a laptop. Okay, that's a, that's an issue that gets resolved. It doesn't need to go as a red to the board, right? But uh, this team is not making enough money. Okay, that, that it doesn't mean the team isn't making money. What they are doing is not making money. So they need the new focus. So put them on something else because the people are fantastic. The people are smart, they've got good tools, they're a mature team, but they're doing the wrong thing. Now the data will tell them they're doing the wrong thing. So the answer is not get rid of the people. The answer is give them a new purpose. Now that is all that data can, data can get to that fork in a road. If there's a fork in a road, Data can help you get to the focus quite objectively, without you know, uh, unambiguously, without uh, people getting hurt or without people taking it any personally. Because um, it, when you just be, when you are nonpartisan, you just you're sticking to the facts, and that for me is the best way to um, sort of run a business because. You know, it's quite easy for people to think that's my baby. And the minute you say that's my baby, the piece of work is my baby, you are emotionally attached to that piece of work. And then, mm-hmm. now God forbid, it isn't working for you. And when the funding gets funded off, the, pulled off that piece of work, that's when you get defensive and you don't want to let go. And, you know, you just do keep doing the wrong thing, even though you know it's the wrong thing. So we want to avoid all of those things by um, talking about just the facts and data can help you stay on this side and not be on the emotional atta- emotionally attached to the thing that you do. Absolutely. So yeah, data can help remove emotion from the equation. Yeah, you're talking about that's my baby, that that product, that idea, that initiative. That's my that's my baby. As soon as that has happened, you can lead into that sunk cost fallacy. I I'm, I'm going to stick with it because I I know it'll work. I've invested this much time in it and this much energy into it, so therefore I'm not going to abandon it. But then when you're presenting data back and saying, well, actually this isn't producing the return on investment that we hypothesized. Um, you know, why aren't we spent? Why aren't we going after this next opportunity or this one and seeing what happens there? And this is why uh, I'm, I'm often encouraging, right? When you have an experiment, uh, a hypothesis, what is the success criteria behind it? And equally, coming back to your point there, someone says, you know, is this team, how's this team doing? My first, my first thought is, 
okay what what is it what outcome are you looking for from this what what's the what's the question you were really trying to answer and, and you mentioned there that they were coming out from a lens of well is it making money okay that's a different answer to if a team was saying well or a person was asking me how is the team performing are they are they are they happy are they are they producing results because the team could be producing great results but that might not be making money they might be producing lots of good stuff or must be producing lots of stuff but that stuff might not be translating to, to revenue so yeah i think I, what i love about data is as it takes away that partisan view it takes away that emotion from the equation you can't argue with data you can interrogate you can interpret it in different ways but you can't argue with it in a certain way so yeah big fan big fan of using data uh, so, Ravi, you may be aware the theme of this podcast is equally about hearing from established thought leaders as well as amplifying newer voices. So those that perhaps aren't always speaking at conferences and events. So have you particularly seen anyone out there who's doing some great work that you'd love to share and talk about or that I should perhaps reach out and get involved in the show? Good question. Um, I'm going to reflect on that. and um, Let me reach out, reach out to you offline with some names because I'm, in this line of work, I'm meeting some really interesting people, some new into the agile transformation journey, some established. And I'm thinking some of the newer voices, what they need is a little bit of sponsorship, what they need is a little bit of confidence because it's quite easy for them to say, I'm in day one, I don't know anything. But actually, they've been in the industry for 25 years. Yeah. So they know stuff and they have common sense. What they don't know is a, is a lot of the theory, a lot of the fundamentals. But when you say the theory, explain the theory to them, explain what the theory says, I say, oh yeah, of course, I get it, because I've lived it. And that is a reaction that we get less of in these days because a lot of people talk about the theory, um, you know, just to make themselves feel very smart. And you know, the, when, I, when I say something that other people don't know, I feel very smart, right? But actually the people who may not know the theory, but actually are living it, just need a little bit of uh, attention. So if if you let me, uh, what I might do is I might uh, ping you offline with the names of some people, especially from the industry, who are very smart, very clever people, but don't get uh, the time of day because they can't speak the theory. Please, please do. would love to hear some of those those names. And actually, just as a, a bit of a shameless plug, I'm involved in uh, the Access Agile Free Estival or Festival. And what that is about, one of the, the key principles behind it is about amplifying newer voices. So getting perhaps those people who are doing great work out there, uh, the platform, the opportunity to, to share their learnings, their experiences. And it's it's intended to be very inclusive in that respect. It doesn't matter if you're on the junior side. If you've got, if you've got something that might be of useful or use to others, then, then please share it. So yeah, if anyone is listening and wants to get involved, wants to perhaps do their, their first speak or, or speak, do their first talk at an event, uh, then they're welcome to get involved. Now Ravi, you know I'm a big fan of retrospectives. I ask every guest on my show to add a new retro to my backlog. I've had all sorts in the, in the well over a year that I've been creating these random ones now. Have you got an idea? of a retro, themed retro that I could create, that I could add to my backlog? Um, I think I may be a, a few months out of date with what you have, but there was one retrospective technique that I think it may have been after we part of ways at Accenture, Chris. It's the dartboard. I, I don't know I don't know if you recall um, the dartboard that I used 2014 or 15, I don't recall. And I tried that in Hong Kong and various other clients and that seems to work. And there's three things in it, uh, process people and product. And you know, the closer you get into the middle, 
you're nailing it. And the further you are away from the board, sometimes even outside the board is telling you something. And each dot is, there's only three colors. So there's only, there can only be three color dots, um, people, process, and product on the board that everybody uh, comes in. And the, the, the most powerful thing about the method that I've seen in the press is if you stuck, stick that on the wall, it's quite hard for anyone to read what's on the, uh, on the dartboard. But what you can see is the color. So if I take a step back, and if I want to understand how a team is doing, without reading the, the, the board itself, you can tell what the team is nailing. So if you have a swarm of, I use orange for product. If you have a swarm of orange darts in the, into the middle, you see the team is kind of nailing the product without actually knowing what's written. They seem to be nailing, and you can see their outliers, the colors will tell you. Uh, without consuming the content, um, what the team feels that they've got to improve as a team. And that um, helps you sort of, from 40,000 feet, ask the person that I question. If they're not already telling you, if they're not already telling you, ask them, um, how, can, how can you help as a servant leader? How can you help as a servant leader to clearly, you see a pattern, how can you help uh, bring those board darts to the middle? So that's a technique, it's a very simple, physical technique. I haven't done that uh, virtually um, because uh, in my experience, I, I think the last time I did this may have been in Hong Kong where we stuck the board on the wall, the inside of a glass wall. So when the leaders walk past, they see the dartboard from the outside. We've had experiences where the global director goes into the room and saying, I see a bunch of greens outside. How can I help? And that question is uh, mm. is interesting because that question is never asked. No one asked that question. So from a culture point of view, first ceiling broken. Like they have just broken the first glass ceiling. Some a, a leader acting like a servant leader. And then, you know, the conversations will determine whether something will happen or if that's just lip service, but at least the first glass ceiling is broken. So it's a very simple technique, um, helps people understand patterns without even knowing the content, but get reel them in to ask the question about how they can help. I love it. It's a very, very visual technique and actually reminds me of in a similar vein of the, the constellation icebreaker you can do where you get people, uh, you, you basically prep, you know, put something in the center of the room to represent the center of the universe and you, you ask people questions, you know, I am a dog person more than a cat person. And if you are if you're a dog person, you stand close to that center of the universe and further away if you're a cat person. It's just a great icebreaker. But as you say, what it will do very quickly is show people how far away they are from each other. And, and that then provokes conversations, the discussions. Okay, what can we do next? What can we do to bring that or move that in? So I love that it's a very visual retro and I will create a virtual version of it. It's, it's on the backlog. Now, um, conscious of time. Thank you for adding that to my retro, Ravi. Uh, thank you for sharing your experiences, your knowledge, your wisdom, your your journey, uh, your you know transparent approach to uh, the Dunning Kruger effect and your and your learnings. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with any of our listeners? Only that, um, only that. Um, what you have, what all of us have to realize at some point, all of us will realize at some point, is um, that we are inadequate in solving the problems of tomorrow because we are so we are learning the problems of yesterday and the tools of yesterday and applying the tools of yesterday to today um, and at some point in all of our all of our lives we'll feel inadequate about solving the problems of tomorrow which are happening today just remind yourself to you know drink a glass of water 
relax, go watch a movie, come back, uh, you know, stop giving yourself a hard time, start listening to somebody else, um, just to see what you're missing. And when you're, when you're feeling down, you know, just realize that it's, it's a hard, hard, hard life. It's a hard uh, thing and a hard craft for us to do because we have to deal with people. Uh, the response to your input is not going to be the same all the time, but that's, but that's very normal. So maybe don't give yourself a hard time. Just keep, give yourself enough time to learn and you know, you'll be okay. Excellent. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that. Right, that's been another episode in season three of the Virtually Agile Videocast. If you'd like to be involved, don't hesitate to reach out and don't stop believing, folks. You've just listened to another episode of the Virtually Agile Podcast. Don't forget to check out www.thevirtualagilecoach.co.uk for one of the largest collections of free templates on the web on all things agile. If this show provided value, I'd love your support by following or subscribing on your platform of choice. See you folks next time.